Good morning. We were having a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, so we might still that out. You guys almost hand me, had me with a handheld, which is always dangerous because I talk so much with my hands that you would only catch like half of what I'm saying because I'd be out here talking. Um, so let's see. Are we good? Does that sound good? All right, I do have a couple mugs to give away. Um, they're both super pretty. And I love them. And I don't, let's see, how about one of the new people? If you, this is your first time, raise your hand. Ding, 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 ding. I actually saw her hand first back here. This one is so pretty, and it says, Be bold, be brave, be you. Oh, that might happen a few times. Hi, you're welcome. Yes. Welcome. And this one is probably my favorite because it's so pretty. Um, it says, life is beautiful. And then inside it says love, and it has all these flowers around it. I can't take too much time, but let's see. How about first person up here gets it? <laughs> I know that's a little unfair for the front. Next time I'll stand in the back. It'll be like the bridal bouquet toss, you know? <clears throat> it's hard being single till you're 33 every wedding you go to. Everyone's all, where's Kim? Where's Kim? For the bridal bouquet toss. And I was always hiding. Because once you get like 29 and 30, you're kind of over all the single ladies coming to catch a bouquet. Anyhow, I don't know where that came from. <clears throat> so... I love these decorations. We're actually going to be talking about Paul's storm story, and he was shipwrecked. And so this is the perfect um, decoration for this story. Last month, we talked about the storm that Peter was caught in and how Jesus walked out on the water, right, to bring his peace and calm the waters. I talked about our adoption journey and how he met us in the, the stormy times of that season and spoke peace and courage and then brought us to the other side but what about when you find yourself and it doesn't come walking out on the water he's not asleep in the boat um, last month's teaching hit home to a lot of you but not in a good way some of you were thinking that's great for you Kim that that happened for you but that's not how it worked out for me my adoption failed. We broke up, and I thought we were going to get married. My marriage ended. I'm still in pain. The cancer still took her. What do I do then? My storm didn't calm down. It just got worse. So today I'm going to be talking about when the Apostle Paul was caught in a storm. He was kind of going about his life sharing the gospel with Jews and Gentiles as he did, and circumstances placed him on a boat headed to Rome where he is hammered by a dark and relentless storm. And there isn't a vision of Jesus walking out on the water. In fact, Paul's boat runs into a sandbank and gets stuck, and the waves continue to crash into it over and over until it breaks apart. Has anybody ever been there? Or maybe you're there now. Things have broken apart. Your heart 
breaks apart. Your world breaks apart. Your plans for the future are shattered. Your plans to expand your family are shattered with miscarriage or infertility or a failed adoption. Today we're going to be in Acts 27. And in this chapter, Paul is out at sea in a storm. And it's not like he obeyed like Peter obeyed Jesus and ended up in a storm. It's not like he disobeyed like Jonah. He was just going about his life, and then he gets arrested. He's put in jail for a couple years, and he's bound in chains and put on a boat to Rome. And I feel like everyone knows how that is. You're minding your business, you're living your life, everything's going fine, it's smooth sailing, and then boom, storm. And then you're clinging to the, the fragments of what's left of the life that you just had, right? So we're going to learn how to handle those storms through Paul's example today. Whether you're in one now or one that will inevitably come in the future. Before we get into the story, I'm going to give you a bit of context. Earlier in Acts, Paul is sharing his testimony of Jesus with whoever will listen. But the Jews don't like what he has to say because he's talking about Jesus being God. So they bring him to the Roman governor, Felix, and they actually press formal charges against him. The high priest brings an attorney with him, and he says, we have found this guy to be a pest. And it literally is pest. Like, it's not like I just made that up. It's like, this guy's a pest. He's stirring up dissension. We think he should be in jail. You know, that's, that was their case, right? Paul says, I didn't cause a riot. They can't, they can't prove anything. I haven't done what they say. But I do serve the God of our fathers. He says, I put my hope in God. I try to maintain a blameless conscience both before God and before men. I'm innocent, right? Would you shut the door, maybe, with the baptism clapping? I love that people are getting baptized, but I don't want it to be a distraction. Thank you. So Felix keeps him in custody, and it's a favor to the Jews because they, they don't want the Jews to revolt or have an uprising because they're kind of scared of them. So they're like, okay, we'll just keep him in custody. So then Felix brings his Jewish wife to listen to Paul's case, which is actually his testimony, and Paul speaks about his faith in Jesus. As he's discussing the judgment to come, it scares Felix so bad that he runs away, right? And he keeps him in prison for two years, but he will bring him in for chats to just chat with him, and he's actually secretly hoping that Paul will bribe him for his freedom, and which Paul doesn't, but what does Paul do? Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's got this audience that he's always telling about his faith. Felix is then succeeded by Festus, which to me is kind of a weird name, and I wouldn't recommend anybody naming their child Festus. It's just like Fester, you know, it's just kind of a weird name. But that's the governor, Festus. And again, the high priest comes, this is two years later, comes with his case against Paul, and he's like, just let us bring him to Jerusalem, which they had planned to ambush him and kill him, you know, but he's like, just let us have him, we'll, we'll, put, him, we'll, we'll put him through a just system, you know, which wasn't going to happen. And of course, they couldn't prove anything. So Paul says, again, I have committed no offense against the Jews or the temple or Caesar. So Festus says, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and face these charges? Again, he's trying to give the Jews what they want. 
And Paul says, actually, I'm a Roman, so no. Um, but I'll go to Caesar. If you want to send me to Caesar, I'll go to Caesar. I've done nothing wrong. So he says, okay, you can go to Caesar. Then the Roman king Agrippa arrives a few days later, and Festus starts telling him about Paul's case. And this is what he says. This is in 25. I'll just read it to you guys. When the, this is how he's telling Agrippa about the case. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with them about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial, but when Paul appealed to help be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. People that don't know, it's like, he was, he was some dead guy, and I don't know, he says he's alive, and he says he's dead, I don't get it, right? So the king wants to hear about it all himself, about all this. So the king and queen arrive with commanders and prominent leaders. They all come into the city, and Paul's brought in to make his defense, which is what? His testimony, right? Look at what God is doing. All these leaders, prominent people, kings, governors, are all hearing the truth about who Jesus is, which is amazing. It might look like a political thing on the outside, but look what's happening on the inside. And Paul says, I consider myself fortunate that I'm about to make my defense before you today. He knows. He's like, you guys are all about to get schooled. You're going to know who Jesus is done with this. So he gives his testimony, like his whole testimony, who he was, that he would go track down Christians and drag them out of their house and they'd get put in jail and put to death and how he was commissioned. to be, He got special papers to go to Damascus and get more Christians and put them in jail so they'd be put to death. That's what he did. And Jesus appears to him on the road and appoints him a minister and a witness to the Jews and Gentiles to turn them from Satan to God so that they might be forgiven. This is what he's telling all of them. And he says, I declared it to everyone, repent and turn to God. And then the Jews wanted to kill me. In 26, verse 22, he says, So having obtained help from, from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Festus screams at him. He's like, Paul, you are crazy. Like, you are loco. He literally says, you are out of your mind. Your studies have made you crazy. And Paul, as cool as ever, replies, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but utter words of sober truth, which I have to envy Paul because he totally kept his cool when somebody just told him he was crazy, and I wish I could keep my cool like that, and so I sort of wrote this how I would like to say things. <clears throat> I am not out of my mind, most excellent husband. Please don't utter the words, Calm down. <laughs> calm down never. Does, has anybody ever calmed down in the history of calm down being said? Like, what? You want me to calm down? Keep our cool. Most excellent husband. 
Um, so the, the king, the queen, and the governor all have this little powwow in the corner. And they're like, he's not doing anything to deserve death, so let's not do that. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he'd be going free right now. But we're going to have to send him to Caesar. So chapter 27 is where we find our text. He's been sent to Rome to defend himself before Caesar. He's placed on a boat with other prisoners headed to Italy, and they're handed over to a centurion named Julius. And Paul has all this favor with this centurion. The centurion's actually really nice to him. And when they go into port, he lets Paul go see his friends and lets them minister to him. After stopping off in a port, they set out again, but the winds had picked up, forcing them to stop in the city of Lycia. So Julius is like, okay, if you guys aren't going to sail, I'm going to find another boat because these guys have to get to Rome. So he goes and finds another boat that will set sail in this weather. But it wasn't smooth sailing. The words used to describe are with great difficulty. The winds were contrary, meaning the winds were against them. It was dangerous. There was a storm brewing. Eventually, they end up at a port called Fair Havens. And in verse 10, chapter 27, Paul gives a warning. He says, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. So Paul gives them a warning, and the captain's like, whatever, which I've been there. I mean, I know we've all been there, where you're like giving someone advice, and you're kind of giving them a warning, and they completely... Um, disregard it and do what they wanted to do anyway. This is how I assume it is having like teenagers and grown children. Some of you guys can tell me. You're like, I really don't advise that. And they're like, that's what I'm going to do. You know, um, can't wait for that. Um, so they, they totally ignored him. So they head out again and it says they weighed anchor, which means they pulled out their anchor from the safe place, from Fair Havens, and they set out. Verse 14, but before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called the Northeaster. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Do you know why you want to face the wind in a situation like this? We went on this houseboat trip a few years ago. And they said, if it gets, the lake was so big that it could get choppy. And they said, if that happens, direct the front of your boat into the waves. Because if you are sideways, then they can knock you off. So they were trying to go into the waves, and they just couldn't. It was too hard. So they just let themselves be driven along by the water and the wind. In desperation, they bring up their lifeboat to secure it, and they let down their sea anchor. And a sea anchor isn't like the nautical anchor that you think about. It's actually this type of sack that just acts as a break. So they put that down to try to slow themselves down. That's a sea anchor. It kind of drags through the water, and they were just going to wait it out. Chapter 27, verse 18. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. 
So they didn't see the sun or the stars for days. The storm seemed endless and they abandoned all hope. And the Greek word for abandon, perieraio, which to me sounds like a Mexican dish, you know? We're gonna have tamales, perieraio. It just sounds like, that sounds delicious. Um, but no, it's the Greek word for abandon. And listen to what it means, to take away that which surrounds or envelops a thing, to take it away altogether or entirely. So their hope that had surrounded them, their hope that had enveloped them was removed from them entirely. They had no hope. And as they're throwing everything that wasn't nailed down overboard and in a desperate attempt to stay afloat, their hope went right along with it. A relenting storm can cause us to abandon our hope. I've gone through many storms in my life. I think the one that, to me, makes me think of this the most is when I had postpartum depression with my son, Noah. It was a dark storm that seemed to have no end in sight. I wasn't diagnosed for several months, so I went through life thinking I was crazy, defective, a monster. Um, after being a mom for just a couple of weeks, I wanted to press rewind and go back to my old life. I don't know how many times I said, I hate my life, I hate being a mom. I said it so many times that my husband would just go, I know, it was miserable. I would say my life is ruined. I will never be happy again. That's postpartum depression, right? I had lost hope. I remember one time my husband was able to go get a haircut and to me that just seemed like the unpardonable sin that I was home stuck with this baby that now that I have three kids and I have a baby now, it's the easiest thing in the world. I had one baby and it felt like I could just die. It was so hard. And he's like, I'm gonna go get a haircut. And I, there were all these papers on the kitchen table in like full soap opera fashion. I was like, whoosh, and I whooshed the papers off, which in hindsight was a really dumb idea because then I had to pick up the papers <laughs> joyfully, I'm sure, but I whooshed them off. I was so angry that he could get a haircut and I didn't have the freedom to go get a haircut. I remember nursing my son Noah and crying uncontrollably into a pillow while I did that. And I remember thinking, man, this family would be way better off if I just got on a plane and went to some island and never came back because they deserve a mom that's, that's not so messed up. There have been other storms, like the time I had brain surgery in 2005. That's always exciting. They went up through the nose like King Tut, you know. Did a little business up there. Uh, the abusive boyfriend I dated in seminary that like berated me nonstop to feel better about himself. That was a storm. Or when my mom started down the road of Alzheimer's that ultimately took her life, that was a really dark storm. But I wanna point something very important out to you guys. I didn't drown. I've been through some hard storms and here I stand before you right now with my feet on the rock, my hope in the Lord, my faith is secure, I'm okay, right? None of these storms did me in even though they felt like they might. Don't lose hope. These waves will not overtake you. It might feel like it, but God's, he's got you. 
verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. I love that even the Apostle Paul is not above like, I told you so. Should have listened to me. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. That would make me go, huh? Like, what? 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 Is that supposed to be encouraging? For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood before me, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And then he says, probably like one of these, but first we must run aground on an island. (coughs) What? What did you say? Nothing. You know, first we must run aground on an island, it says. Paul knew who he was belong to, the God to whom I belong. He knew whose he was, right? Think of the song Oceans. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I'm yours and you're mine, no matter what happens to your boat, right? Your house, your health, your body, your finances, your security, your soul can rest in his embrace, even if the worst of the worst happens, you guys, God is going to see you through it. God is going to hold you and cradle you through it. That's who he is. So their ship is driven across the Adriatic Sea for two weeks. They covered like 550 miles, right? I would have lost hope somewhere in there. Like we talk about how with, with Peter and some of these other storms by the fourth watch of the night, they had lost hope. Imagine like two weeks of fourth watches. After three days, fourth watch, I'd be like, he ain't coming. There's, we're stuck. This is what's going to happen. We are stuck here, and there's going to be no rescue. But one night, the sailors sense that they're approaching land, and they cast something called a lead line over the edge. And it's this rope, and it's measured by, is it... Uh, I want it fathoms, and it's basically fingertip to fingertip. And they, it has a little lead bell on it that they shove tar in, and they, they lower it down to the bottom. And if it comes up with silt or sand on it, they know how far away. They, 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 they know if it's deeper here and then more and more shallow, they're moving toward shore. So 30 minutes later, they found out that they, were, they went from 20 fathoms to 15 fathoms. So they were like 30 feet closer to some sort of shore in 30 minutes. So they take immediate action, and they throw four four anchors from the back of the boat. Like, this should work, right? Throw four anchors from the back of the boat to keep it in place and to keep it sort of facing the shore. This would stop the ship's progress and also position it in the right way. But then in an attempt to escape, like, the very scary and dangerous, dangerous situation, the trained sailors are like, so we're going to go up to the front and we're going to throw out the anchors on the front. There's anchors up there. So they go out, we'll be right back. And they start lowering the lifeboat. 
So they pretended to be lowering anchors, and they're lowering the lifeboat to escape, to get to shore in the lifeboat. And Paul tattles on them, which was, you know, he says, uh, unless these men, he's like, you guys, they're lowering a lifeboat, and if they don't remain in the ship, there's no hope for any of us. And we don't know if he said that because everybody needed to be together to fulfill God's promise of everyone being okay, or if, if we don't have our trained sailors on board and it's a bunch of prisoners and me and guards, we, are, we don't have anyone to help us in this situation. But this time the soldiers listened to him and they actually cut the ropes and let the lifeboat drop to the water. They let it fall away. And those sailors that thought they had lost all hope but had one little shred in this contingency plan of a lifeboat, that's been cut off and just sank to the bottom of the sea. Their last hope. And they're left with nothing. And there's this sense of like a doomed finality, like with a diagnosis or a failed reconciliation. It just feels final. So they wait for morning. Now, Paul is in the same boat as everyone else. He's got soldiers, prisoners, sailors, a centurion, with the same circumstances. But Paul never relied on a lifeboat for his rescue. That was never his contingency plan. He knows the truth that they are far from being left with no hope because he knows whose he is. He knows how big his God is. Watch how he handles it. Chapter 27, starting in verse 33. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you, take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. In Paul's mind, he's so certain that God is coming to rescue them that not even a hair, like seriously the most detachable part of the human body, not even a hair will be lost in the process. And I don't know about you guys, but you look at me wrong and my hair falls out. Like my hair is everywhere. I started crocheting and I'm crocheting this blanket and I would look down and I've just crocheted a hair into the blanket. Like, it just, uh, it's, it's down there, and I'm like, and it's like, and I was at someone's house, and my friend said, oh, that'll be so neat. Your little great-grandkids will be like, look, this is a piece of great-grandma's hair. And it's like, that is kind of gross. So my hair just, they like jump ship, you know? My hair's always falling out. And Paul's like, you guys, you're not even going to lose a hair in this time. 35, having said this, he took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. What does that sound like to you guys? Does that sound familiar? Sounds like communion, right? He's leading everyone on board in communion. This isn't some house church. This is like they're in crisis, in a boat, in a storm, about to break apart with soldiers and prisoners and sailors. And he does the very thing Jesus instructed his followers to do, to remember him. 
Remember me, remember who I am, remember I'm your hope, remember I'm your rescue, remember I'm your redeemer, remember what I've done for you, remember what I'm capable of, remember what I've purchased for you. Does anybody here remember Sesame Street? Which one of these things is not like the other? So I made this for you guys. So, which one of these is not like the other, right? She's like, what? And they're like freaking out. And then she's like, God is good all the time. You know, she's just, that's Paul in the boat. Everyone is this and Paul's this. And we're going to get to this, but that's who we want to be in a crisis. We want to be her. All right? Everyone in the boat has lost hope, and Paul is encouraging them and serving communion. If I had to guess, I'd say he'd probably been sort of pastoring them along the way. He's kind of their little pastor right now. He's their, his little congregation, and he was encouraging them. And sometimes you have to fight for hope. Paul had hope, and they had lost hope, but maybe Paul had to fight for it sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes you've got to grasp for it. Sometimes hope is this tiny little speck, and you've got to reach and fight and trust and declare as best you can because you don't want to lose your hope. You've got to hold on to that hope that you have in God. Verse 39. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. So the anchors held them through the night. The night before, they had put down their anchors and lifted up the rudders. The rudders were what gave them direction. They just put ropes on them and pulled them up out of the water. And I think this is good advice because sometimes we have to stop trying to direct where the boat is going and trust that the anchor is going to keep us secure. And that's hard for us control freakish people. That we want to make sure everything's going the right direction, but sometimes you've got to pick up your rudders, throw down your anchor in God, and go, okay, God, I'm just going to trust that you're going to keep me secure. So they headed for the beach, and it looked like they were home free. We'll just pull up onto the beach and kind of come onto the soft sand and, you know, disembark like on a cruise, and we're going to be all set. Verse 41, but striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern, which is the back of the boat, began to be broken up by the force of the waves. So he was stuck and then beat down over and over and over. And I felt like when I was preparing earlier today that the Holy Spirit said, somebody, when I say that, that they were stuck, and then just felt like they just kept getting beat over and over and over, that somebody here is like, that's exactly what I feel like right now. That's exactly what's going on in my life. I feel like I just can't catch a break. And so I'm going to make sure that I, I pray for you for that after. So the soldiers worried that their prisoners were going to escape. So they're like, we have to kill them all, including Paul. We have to kill all the prisoners. Because a soldier 
would be killed if his prisoner escaped. So they were just going to kill everybody, including Paul. But the centurion in verse 43, wanting to bring Paul safely through again with this favor, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim just jump overboard and swim to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. Paul arrived at land. He maybe swam. He could have clung to a plank. He was probably bruised, probably chapped from just constantly being wet from a storm and the wind the whole time. I think sometimes that's how we feel at the end of one of these hurricane storms, right? Like we're holding on to dear, for dear life to whatever is left. We're bruised emotionally, exhausted spiritually. We can feel physically weak, but we're alive. And we're his, and we're loved, and he's got us. If you're in a dark storm right now, I want to first tell you that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to hate it. It doesn't make you a bad Christian if you don't want to be in this dark storm. It's okay to not see it as a huge blessing. <laughs> right? Some people will want you to just see it as a blessing, and it's okay to be like, this is not a blessing. But I want to encourage you, like Paul. He said, yet now I encourage you, keep up your courage. Trust God. He is your hope. You are his, and he is with you. And God will redeem this storm. God will redeem this storm. He's the God of redemption. That's, that's kind of who he is, right? He loves and lives to redeem things. And the word redeem simply means to make an exchange. To make an exchange. To take the ugly that we give him and then make it beautiful. We give him something broken and he can make it whole. He'll take the dead and make it alive. And I, with Pastor Steve talking about Lazarus last week, I thought, you know, sometimes we come through a storm and your dream has died. Your hope has died. What you thought was going to happen has died. And sometimes God walks you through that grief and walks you through that and gets you to the other side, and sometimes he'll resurrect it. Sometimes the dead things, God resurrects. So don't lose hope. God took the death of Jesus and turned it into our hope. He made that exchange. Redemption is that backwards transaction where God takes something bad and gives us something good in return. It's who he is. It's in his nature to do that. He will redeem your trial and make it good. How many here have seen God redeem a stormy time? Like you can look back and go, He's done something good with that. My marriage was strengthened. Your family was restored. Your terrible breakup actually made you a stronger and healthier person, right? The guy that berated me and stuff in seminary. I mean, I went from like, I believe I can fly to like clipped wings. Couldn't smile at anybody. Couldn't hug anybody. It was so jealous. It was just so, it was horrible. But when I worked up the strength and the courage to say, this is not what I want for my life and broke up, through the healing after that, I was a stronger, more confident, more whole person 
than I had been before. And I just wanna, I mean, how many of you single ladies have been like, I dodged a bullet with that one, right? I'm so glad, I'm so, or married ladies who are like, I'm so glad I didn't marry that guy, right? And just a note to the single women, if he berates you, if he's jealous, if he cuts you off from your friends, if he makes you feel stupid, if he makes fun of your family, if he does those things, kick him to the curb. That's just, you gotta choose wisely because marriage is a long time and um, you don't wanna be with that and it's not right. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He will redeem it and he will work it out. He will work it out. Often that one thing that seems hopeless and void of anything good becomes the soil for something beautiful to grow. God will grow something good. With my postpartum depression, I couldn't even see the tiniest flicker of light at the end of a long, dark tunnel. But in time, there was healing. In time, there was rejoicing. In time, I had another child that I didn't think I would ever want another child and ruin my life more. Once I got healthy and whole and was myself again, I'm like, yeah, I would like another, another one. And in time, my story was used to bring comfort and encouragement to so many women who have walked through postpartum depression and feel like they're crazy and nobody understands them and what's wrong with them. I can be like, been there, done that, let me talk to you and let's walk it out together and help ease their burden. Each time you share your storm, easing the burden of another person in the same boat, your story is redeemed because you can relate to someone like no one else can. Allow your storm to give you compassion for someone in their storm. So I'm going to leave you with four to-dos when a storm like this arises. These can be your anchors, your four anchors that you throw out. Number one, know that God is with you. This is the theme in every storm. You may feel like he's abandoned you. He has not. He is with you. He knows where you are. You could go to the remotest part of the sea, and he is with you. He can find you. Paul knew God was with him in this storm. Do not fall into despair because you're not alone. God loves you. God loves you. And he, you can't get away from his presence. He sees your circumstances and he will not leave you. He will not. Number two, look for favor. Look for favor that God's going to give you with certain people. Look for those circumstances to inexplicably go your way. Look for God moving even in the midst of a storm. Watch for him to be at work because he is at work. And those little flickers of seeing him move will give you hope. Number three, trust the anchor to hold. Lift up your rudders and trust that he has you. He's bigger than your ability to control it all. We cannot control everything, but he is above everything. So trust that he's, you're not going to mess something up. He's going to be there. And if you mess something up, he's going to redeem it. And he's going to help you with it. It's exhausting to try to control everything. 
Number four, and I got this um, last year, Andy Madsen talked on. This is one of my favorite things that he said. He said, do the storm differently. Do the storm differently. Paul broke bread and gave thanks to everyone present, right? They saw his hope in God. They saw his trust. They saw how somehow he was remaining fearless. You might remember when Heather Muncy last year gave us a message on how you hear Christians described in all these things, what are words you think about? And I'm like, wholesome, moral, integrity. And she's like, do you think of the word fearless? Because they were, and that's what we're called to be, is fearless. They saw how he was remaining fearless because he knew whose he was. He weathered the storm differently. God calls us to weather our storms differently so that the people around us can know that there is a trustworthy and faithful God that is bigger than the waves. When I had brain, my brain surgery, every, I was working at LeapFrog, and everybody was like, how do you have so much peace? You're about to have brain surgery. I couldn't explain it, but I would just say, I'm a Christian, and God's giving me this peace that passes all understanding, and I, I can trust him, you know? And the last thing he said was, your storm is the space where people can encounter the resurrected Jesus. Because they will see something different in you. They will see something unique in you. They will see a hope that doesn't make sense in you and a faith that doesn't make sense in you. And they'll encounter Jesus, just like those sailors encountered Jesus through Paul's trust and his willingness to be different in the storm. So I'm going to pray right now. And is there anybody in here who felt like, who feels like you're in a place where the front of the boat is stuck and you just, the waves just keep crashing and your boat is like starting to crumble, okay? Raise your hands and I want the women around, if you're next to a woman with their hands raised, I want you ladies to put hand, lay hands on her, okay? Make sure everyone, because we've all been in that place, and it's, it's a hard, hard place, and we need, as our sisters, to support each other, okay? Okay, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you for these sisters, such this awesome family, God. I feel so blessed to have these women in my life, and that we can come together and God, some of our sisters are hurting. They just feel like their boat's about to fall apart and their hope has sunk to the bottom of the sea in a lifeboat. And they came here this morning because they were looking for something or maybe they didn't even wanna come because it's so hard when you have no hope to reach out. But Holy Spirit, you are sweet and you are powerful and nothing is impossible for you. And I ask right now that you would cover these women who have raised their hands, that you would cover these women who are sitting in a boat that's falling apart. And I pray you would infuse them with supernatural peace in Jesus' name, with a supernatural trust that said, my God is good, he is faithful, he will see me through this, he will get me to the shore, he will redeem this. He will show others himself through my storm. 
God, we pray for resurrections. We pray for wholeness where things are broken. We pray for healing where there is sickness. We pray for reconciliation where things are broken and have been torn apart. God, just like Paul knew that he belonged to you and no matter what happened, even if he perished, he would be in your presence. I pray for that kind of faith to fill up these women from their toes to the top of their heads that they would feel bolstered and encouraged and strengthened and confident that they would have courage and be brave and know that you are with them in this storm. That you will not leave them, that the waves will not overtake them. But you will make a way and you will give them favor and you will keep them anchored. Hope, 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 hope. I just declare hope in this place. He is faithful. He is good. He is healing. He is justice. He is grace and forgiveness. I just thank you, God. I thank you, God, for how you are with us in the great times and in the deepest, deepest places where we can see no light. The storm has blocked the sun, but you are there. And you say, you are mine. And so I just pray for these women for breakthrough, and hope and your presence to be made known in the midst of their storm. And I pray for each and every woman here, God, that they would feel encouraged by you this morning, that they would know they are loved and purposed, and that you are using them and offering them peace and hope and grace in their lives. Just thank you. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. Amen.